0: Hey, and welcome to the Strategy Sessions. Today, I'm joined by Letitia Galdon, who is the entrepreneur and founder of Paz. Letitia, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Uh, so tell me today, where are you? You're um, in Spain somewhere?
1: Yeah, I'm in Madrid. I'm freezing, <laughs> but I'm happy to be here.
0: Excellent. So uh, tell our listeners about um, Paz, about the project that you're behind. What, what mm-hmm. is it and what does it do?
1: So PATH is a social impact-driven startup. We have created a tech talent accelerator program to identify, upskill, and connect refugee professionals with the tech industry in Europe.
0: Brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. So you connect refugees with the tech industry, you upskill them and help them find jobs, which creates a a circular economy, effectively, of uh, support Mm -hmm. for, for refugees.
1: Yeah, and also... Some, I mean, many refugees back in their country, they were working in tech, or they had skills that are easily transferable into what the tech industry is looking for. So we just make sure that these professionals, not because they are in a refugee situation, suddenly they are condemned to uh, low-skill, low-paid jobs. The tech industry is in need of this talent. They are competing to find this talent. And we found a way. To, for companies to do better by doing good. And in this way, also solving one of the most pressing humanitarian problems that the world is facing.
0: Fantastic. So we, we, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about something entirely different, and you started telling me the story um, of, of how, <laughs> how the, the startup has developed. And it, it's a story, in my eyes, of, of hope. It's a story of um, entrepreneurial vision, and it's also a story of true marketing um, from what I can see. Um, so to explore that, what I want to do is I want to take us right back to the beginning because the product has changed and evolved a little bit over time, hasn't it? So take us right back to where did this idea start? Where you did did you wake up one morning and go, "I know, tech program for refugees. How <laughs> did it all start?
1: Well, it does started with one one thought, let's say, which was what if the best minds of our generation, together with the best companies and the best technology, would be solving the most pressing problems of humanity. And I've been involved in the refugee crisis since 2015, I worked um, directly with people who who were coming to Europe and had lost uh, family members uh, through that journey. And, uh, you know, from the humanitarian sides, I was a humanitarian aid worker. And I was just frustrated to see a lack of innovation and thinking out of the box to address this population because in many humanitarian, I mean, no humanitarian crisis is easy to, to address. But in this case, what I, my personal approach to it was, this should not be a humanitarian problem because we are making it the way Europe is reacting to to this influx of people and how we are where we are putting them. So um, refugee camps are seriously are like prison-like conditions. And it's like that's where it all starts when you don't let people just um, integrate, you are creating a problem, they're not the problem. So with all of that and having to play a role of just Um, operating from the bottom of the Maslow's Pyramid. So just a food, water, shelter, that's it. Um, People thought that that was enough. But then when you speak to them, when when you stop looking at them as a problem, but you just go out there with curiosity to ask them, what do you need? Then you realize that they are just people like you and I, but that suddenly life hit them hard and it made them have to start from scratch somewhere new. But they had all this potential. So with all of this, I decided that I didn't want to just be following orders or mandates that I don't um, resonate with. So I decided to come to London, specialize in uh, violence, conflict and development at SOAS. And SOAS has quite a... some people say radical, I just say it's a very critical approach to humanitarian intervention, which is let's not, because we are the West, look at others like we are the saviors of the world and they are these poor people in need, but actually um, the fact that different societies are different doesn't mean one is better than the other. We can actually all learn from each other. So. Through that lens that I got to really master uh, during my my time at SOAS, uh, is how I approach PATH. So, can I, I sorry, can I just yeah
0: add, you, you said was it SOAS the company you the organization so, you mentioned?
1: Yeah, so SOAS is the School of Oriental and African Studies right, okay. uh, in London, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, sorry I yeah. no no that that's,
0: that's okay. <laughs>
1: So, um, when I was doing that, I kept reading about violence and genocide and, and, and the core of why people are forced to to leave their countries. And my best friend was in the other side, like complete opposite pole. He uh, was at that point, he was the head of growth at Udacity, which is an edtech a company in Silicon Valley, they were doing the European expansion. And so he was, his day to day was just, you know, talking about AI education and self-driving cars and, and getting people, um, you know, to learn those skills to make sure that they, they are never out of, of the job market. Mm-hmm. And he's an entrepreneur and he every time I, I, I saw him and he asked me, how was your day? I would just start crying. And just because of all you know the, the big problems I was reading about, I had faced already. And one day he said, Leti, enough. You know, if you care so much about this, what are you going to do about it? And I always thought that being an entrepreneur meant you have to come up with this great idea that has to work from day one and and if it doesn't it means you're not ready to be an entrepreneur Mm -hmm. but he started to introduce me to all these tech founders and different startups and and i realized that actually all you need is to find a problem that is important enough um, to be solved and just engage with it until you find something that works so it needs to be important for society so the product at the end is bought or successful, but also it needs to be important to you because as an entrepreneur, you're going to dedicate a lot of time, money, effort, everything to it. So you you have to care. That's my personal opinion. So
0: can I just stop yeah. there for a second? I just want to dive into that because that, mm-hmm. what you said is really, really important that entre- being an entrepreneur isn't about having an idea or even a solution. It's sometimes mm-hmm. just understanding there's a problem that needs solving and then throwing your energy at that. That yeah. be a different way to, to what a lot of people, you know, you sit there thinking, oh, I'd leave my job if only I could. So that's a slightly different way of approaching it, isn't it?
1: Yeah, because it comes from wanting to create value from day one, not wanting to create money from day one. I believe that when you create value, money comes afterwards. Mm-hmm. However, if you only focus on creating this billion dollar idea, then good luck, you know, because Maybe today that's very popular, but if you didn't um, start it on the right track, and for me, the right track is understanding the problem really well, as we will see through my story, our product has changed. Our, But what never changed was the core, was the why. You know, why did we start this and what are we trying to solve?
0: Yeah. So you start with a purpose at the heart of what you do. I I was critical... On one of the podcasts last year about uh, Mondeleza, and they they came up with this ridiculous brand purpose called Humaning, um, which makes no sense. And I'm not going to go into it again because I've <laughs> complained about it far too much. But this is what happens when you tag purpose on to something. So when you start with it at the heart of what you do, that's when brand purpose really, really works for for companies and for organizations. So, so you 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 started looking at this differently. Then you had you saw a problem that needed solving. You saw a problem that mattered to you where did that take you next
1: well the next thing was um and i think this definitely is pure marketing which is we put two um ingredients in an equation that they never go together so humanitarian problem and high tech it's like you know like that people were like what what are you you know so uh, on that first year i started to spend more and more time with all these tech founders and they took me to a, a tech startup festival. And I remember that everyone had all these fancy uh, products and apps and, and they would ask me like, and you, what do you do? What? And I would start telling them about you know, the, the refugee problem and how I'm trying to, to bring a sustainable solution to this with tech. And people were like, I want to be a part of this. And I started the podcast saying that this started with what if the brightest minds of our generation together with the best companies, best technology, this is how it it kind of materialized. I was around people from Google, from Uber, from Amazon, Facebook, developers that cost millions and that um, anyone would want them in their team. And they were saying, Just tell me what you need, I'll I'll help you. Why? Because people are looking for purpose, but real purpose, like it's not in tech. People don't just want to work for money anymore because they know that money is not a problem. Like when you have a specific set of skills that everyone needs, you're sorted. But it becomes boring. Like why would you use all your talent for more people to click on a Google ad when you can use that talent to save a life, right?
0: This is it. I mean, you hear, it's, it's kind of an old phrase now, but you hear someone complain about the American space program. Like, why is it not world-leading anymore? And the answer, or one of the answers, I think, is because all the best talent in the 1960s and 50s used to want to go and work at NASA. Now all the best talent coming out of all the best schools in America wants to go and work at Google and Facebook and, and all the startups. So they have a real battle for talent at NASA. Which is one of the reasons they think why they're not getting get to you know Mars like they should be doing and things like, that, despite the fact they've still got quite hefty budgets. So yeah, mm-hmm. you know, you're at right, the right, the best talent. It's what clicking on ads. Is mm-hmm. it fulfilling for you after a long period of time? Maybe not. So, so people were wanting to come to your startup even though you didn't have a product at that point.
1: Mm. Yeah, but they came to to just help understand the problem and see how with their knowledge, we could help. And that's how, um, so I went to to Greece for a month. I I went to different refugee camps, so more than 10 refugee camps. I talked to more than a thousand refugees plus hundreds of humanitarian aid workers and grassroots organizations that were operating right there on on the ground. And you could ask, but why did you start in Greece? Greece was and still is, but back then, this was 2017. People were um, most Syrian refugees, Afghan refugees uh, were crossing to Europe from Turkey to Greece, and I I think there's something very special about. Uh, Conflict affected refugees, you know, because you can have a refugee is any person who is um, who is forced to leave their countries because their lives are at risk because of, for example, their race, their religion, their political views, and their sexual orientation, or because their human rights are not being uh, respected, or because there is a war conflict, you know, so there are different kinds, and that's also from Let's Talk Marketing, it's hard to um, create a product that addresses all of them because there's the only thing that they have in common is that status, the legal status or of I'm stateless, I've had to leave my country, I cannot go back and I need to find this international protection. But that doesn't make a group similar to each other because they can all be from different um, socio-cultural, uh, how do you say like levels and um you know the different, education different like races, it's different so different right different
0: yeah or, you know, we say we have refugees from libya we have refugees from syria and they go oh they're just refugees but no
1: they're so different yeah so that's why i chose greece because i was um a bit obsessed with one specific type of a refugee, which is the one who had a normal life at Syria before the war started, was one of the countries in the Middle East with the best education. Yeah. And I was wondering what happened to them now that, you know, they, they had to to leave everything, leave all their belongings, all the, their whole lives behind and they have to start from zero so that was my you know that that was the group where we started now we've expanded and we work with any any type of of refugee but i thought for the purposes of any marketer they, they should know that this is why i yeah. i and chose
0: market research as well you went and did field research which, mm-hmm. is, which is brilliant um ethnography focus groups talking to mm. people out there that, you know this is this is pure marketing you went out mm. and you didn't just say this is my solution to the problem you went no. to understand the problem first
1: yeah and many people were saying but what is path?" even my family were like but, but what are you trying to do and I kept saying "Path will be whatever it needs to be and people got angry at me like can you stop being so philosophical and just <laughs> tell me what you're into And I was like, I'm not being philosophical, to be honest, I'm not going to fall in love with any solution until I see that it works. So going to these refugee camps and asking the right question, which in this case was, what do you need and what is missing? What do you think is missing to really help you thrive, right? And um, one thing that, because any entrepreneur who starts a a project, let's say, needs a small deck that says what's the the mission, the vision, and the hypothesis. Mine was very simple. I had that basically, and what the milestones are to to, to start this. Um, And what I realized was that no one had asked them what they really needed. And we realized in that first market research, it was hope. And when I came back, people said hope is such a, you know, is, is such a, um, top, uh, how do you say? It? You it, it, cannot it, it, quantify hope. Yeah. How are you going to to prove you thing. are successful by bringing hope, right? And so in the second research, what we realized is that hope means opportunities to move forward. Hope means being able to regain control of their lives and almost detach from the um identity of being a refugee and just being a human being, you know? And what made the difference there was having a job, being employed. Because any citizen, and here I want everyone to be to think about if they've ever been in a situation where they are not working. It makes it makes a huge difference in society. It's like Those who are working, they are entitled. They are almost like better citizens, you know, because I have a job. And those who don't, it's almost as if you are at the edge of social exclusion if you are too long out of a job because... uh, But that's our own conception, right? So every human being has that. And I started talking about the Maslow's Pyramid because the top of the pyramid is self-realization. And no one in the human humanitarian sector is approaching the refugee crisis from the top, which is look, yeah, food, water, all of that is needed to survive, but to actually really, really survive, you also need, a, you know, a reason for, for being. And in, a, in that first year, I, I went through one, uh, one of the guys that I interviewed, he was 20, I think, and um, he's from Afghanistan, and I, I, I gave him, I did this interview with him. When I came back to London uh, a week later, I received a call that he killed himself. And I was like, I remember, I'm a social worker, so I took it like, how couldn't I see this coming? The reality is, anyone in that point where they've they risked everything to come to europe and suddenly they, they they reach europe and they face this huge wall that they don't think they're going to be able to 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 pass so for him it's like oh so we went through all of this for this to end up in this refugee camp where we are all, you know we we have zero freedom zero access to any it's like they are Uh, citizens or not even citizens they are humans of a lower category um so yeah sorry that i went a little bit out but no it's that's where we realize that okay the self-realization is as important as having food because if you realize that there's no future for you that that that's it you can't take it anymore and that's what we try to solve i I think
0: you know the there's too much. I don't wanna, There's too much politics in the refugee crisis, and I know politicians have to be part of the solution, mm. but it, it becomes a vote issue instead of a people issue, which, which really irritates me. And we strip away people's dignity, is what we do by by forcing them to live on handouts and and just be uh, living in tent cities in between countries and have nothing to live for, and it it just it, it's just wrong it's just wrong that because, you know, I was lucky enough to be born in this country. That's okay. But because you weren't, you can stay over there. I just don't, I fundamentally disagree with the way we approach it. And it just, it brings it to life the way you, uh, the way you explain what, what happened and what, what happened to that young guy. It's it's horrific. It's horrific. So the fact that you're trying to bring hope at least and, and um, to, to the refugees in, in, in that position is it's fantastic, so sorry, carry on. So, we're, you, you, <laughs> you, Sorry, I keep interrupting, go on, carry on. No,
1: no, no, it's good, it's a conversation and I'm glad that to hear your, your thoughts. Um, yeah, so with all of that, what we did was we came back to, to London and then all these people, we were talking about all these um, professionals from the tech industry and many other professionals that uh, were in our network, they came on a Saturday for more than 10 hours. So we started at 9 a.m. and they left. The, the one who left the sooner was maybe 5 p.m. but some stayed even until 7 p.m. So it was a very long day where we, they heard me for probably one hour and a half. I just brought them all the, all the information of what I found. I, I even created this video with all the footage and, and the interviews. So I gave them the information and then we created a design thinking session in different tables. So we would have all the EdTech people together all the innovation consultants together um, and different industries. And then they were coming up with different things that PATH could do to bring hope to uh, refugees there. And it all started with why don't we create an online gaming platform that would connect youngsters in refugee camps with youngsters in the UK and together they would learn uh, programming through challenges. Mm -hmm. So why did we do this? Because in this uh, field research, what we found was that uh, people were lacking, so refugees were lacking access to education, access to employment, access to a community. They felt isolated and, um, and alone. But one thing they all had was access to internet and a smartphone. So we thought, there you go, let's start there. Let's bring them those connections with other, you know, other youngsters because the moment I believe that if young people were more exposed to different cultures, different, uh, you know, like just types of people, Racism, discrimination would decrease because you just see them as your friend. Is Joe? Is Marta? Is you know Hussein? It's not the refugee or the black person or the you know. It's just it's just your friend. This so that's that that was the core, right? We just wanted to build this bridge between refugees in Europe and the rest of the European society. We wanted to start with the youngsters because personally I thought they were or I still think they are the hardest group to work with because children, yeah, they are pretty. You can put them in any campaign. Here, we're back at marketing, yeah? You look at, you know, all the big charities and you see, you know, cute children um, and you like, yeah, I want to help. Now, would you like to, do you think, and, and I really wanted to answer honestly, Andy, that would that the same campaign be as successful as in, if instead of this two-year-old who, with these, uh, you know, shiny eyes, uh, you have a 14-year-old with a beard, really tall, um, that looks like what in the movies they put as a terrorist. Um, would, would that have the same impact? No,
0: the, and the, there's a whole industry right, around uh, sort of direct response TV. So it, it, in the UK, we've got we've got it over there in Spain, but we've got kind of the main TV channels, uh, one to five. And then we have kind of the, the free view channels, you might call them. Um, now, the, the free view channels can do longer ad breaks, so that there's quite tight restrictions on how long ad breaks can be and stuff on, on TV. But on the free view channels, they have longer ad breaks. So this has led to a kind of the rise of what you call direct response TV advertising, where you get a lot of charity ads. Um, now, the, the key, the two key concepts of direct response TV, as I understand it, are always work with children or animals, always. So you see a lot of like donkey sanctuary, um, you know, a, adopt um, a white African leopard or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see a lot of... Um, Starving children, in, starving children in Yemen or, or wherever the latest humanitarian mm. crisis is. Now, I think the industry would tell you in their defense that there's a problem here that needs solving and it needs money. So what they do is they create a campaign that makes money. Now, mm. you can argue about it and say it's exploiting, you shouldn't be doing it, but actually all that happens is you don't make any money, which helps to solve the problem that, that is there. Mm. So the industry would say, we didn't cause the problem. We're not the solution. We're just the conduit to help mm-hmm. you get there.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, or you could say, well, actually, no. You, you're, a, you're, a, because they're getting paid for making those ads. Mm-hmm. So, so are they exploiting the problem? They are. <laughs> I'm trying to be balanced about mm. this. They would say, yeah, we get paid for every pound we get paid. This campaign mm. makes fifty pounds, so that's money mm. well spent. It's not an easy discussion, but yeah, you yeah. right, absolutely. If they start putting, there was a huge debate in the papers and the TV. When the refugee crisis became front page news in the UK, there was pictures of children um, who were looking to be home. But these children were 15. Mm. And you've got people going, that kid's not 15. He's 20. Someone Mm. do a test on him. He's pretending he doesn't Mm. have a passport. And yes, you always find the one guy turns out to be 24 who pretended he was 15. So, So he could be treated as a minor. So that means everybody else must be lying. That mm-hmm. damns everybody else, and it's like, thats mm-hmm. not how it works. It really isn't how it works. So yeah, it—it it, it bothers me, but
1: yeah,
0: I've tra- hopefully tried to explain all sides of the argument.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I get it. And you said a couple of things that are really uh, I can relate to, and they have been uh, core to to why we are what we are as an organization, as a company. So. On the um, age thing, because I think it's something I also keep, keep hearing and, and because I'm explaining why we started with youngsters, I think it's, it's important. First is that it's hard to, to draw the line of when you are intervening with someone as a minor or not because perhaps yeah, when they arrive to Europe, they are, in, they are 20, but when they left, they were 14. And believe it or not, all those years, they've been just um, trying to escape different um, uh, different, yeah, or not gangs, but along the journey, they there are uh, mafias, there are uh, criminal organizations that will abduct them, and then uh, they have to escape, or some, if they end up in Libya, they will be sold as slaves. And, you know, like, it's people only see the, a very small part of the journey that many, many refugees, not everyone, because there's also the ones who jump on a plane, make it, they go uh, to the airport to say, hey, I need international protection. And it's a different story. They don't have to go through, through all that terrible, um, you know, uh, journey that others do, but, but many, 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 go through that journey, it takes many years, and by the time they, they reach Europe or they reach anywhere that is safe, yeah, maybe they are 19, but they are still, they became over uh, um, age throughout that journey, but I still believe they need specific support. Like They cannot be treated as a 19 year old from a British family who had know, who's not traumatized, who has a support network, and all of that. So anyways, I I just wanted to give context in like, let's not look at things as black or white, and it's just a number is not but what it's also true is that in every um, culture, or I don't know what the the right word is, but um, if you see a, a 15 year old Spanish guy, and a 15 year old a um, Swedish guy and a 15-year-old, Cameroon guy. They are gonna look completely different. So who are you to say who looks 15 and who doesn't? Because you're gonna judge this guy or girl based on you know the you and how you were at that age. But so it, this all makes me upset. But anyway, you you said it. Um, they don't. This this group, this age group, is hard to work with because of all the traumas, because they are angry at how life has treated them. They are scared out of their mind because they have zero um, support and role models or anything. They don't know any, I think any teenager in general, it's being a teenager is hard, but being a teenager who has lived through war, torture, human rights violations, family losses, and things like that has to be much worse, right? So that's why we chose, um, within this problem that I think is is really difficult to solve, which is just integrating um, refugee population in a society that does not want to welcome refugees. We decided to go for the even harder, hardest group, which is all these teenagers that are mostly guys that they don't look uh, you know young and cute and and easy to work with and no one is, is was doing um a lot of work with them so the next thing we did was create this game and we did a kickstarter campaign to to fund it uh, so we could pilot it right and
0: let's talk about can we talk about the kickstarter for a while because yeah. um there's probably we've not <laughs> have covered that before on the podcast so what, what do you look at there? You, you've you got to raise a certain amount of money and you give, what do you give in return?
1: How did the whole process work for you? <laughs> so we could have chosen any platform to do this fundraising. And we chose Kickstarter because we chose to be a startup and not an NGO. And I promise I'm going to go back to the Kickstarter, but this just links really well with, with what you just said about there's a problem to solve, it needs money to be solved, Mm -hmm. right? And we did not want to be in that situation, that because we need money, we need donations, we have to, I don't know if this is the right use of of language, but like, prostitute the problem to get all the funding, you know, and kind of...
0: It's a beautiful use of English.
1: Yeah, okay. (laughs) Sometimes if I make, you know, if I use the wrong wording, please don't... You know, because sometimes, but I'm glad this one worked great. <laughs> so, um, so we didn't want to do that, right? We wanted to prove that you can create a sustainable business model that solves a problem, and that you can stay true to your values and um, the dignity of the people you're trying to help, etc. You know. So that's why we we chose Kickstarter. We said, okay what is a platform that startups use to be able to fund their first product or the first pilot of their product and see if it works, Kickstarter, right? So let's see. So we went in there and the first thing that Kickstarter tells you is this is not a charity fund uh, raising platform. You have to be A company. There has to be a product to be sold, Um, and we're gonna check that that's the case. And I was like, okay, challenge accepted. So how? (laughs) What can we sell that can fund this pilot? So it's a let's sell education. You know, let's sell um, hours of education. Or you know, we are selling a product. It's just it's not for you. It's for someone else. But you're still. Purchasing something, so that's how we did it, and we we did a matrix that we made up, by the way, which was okay. So one hundred pounds is, I don't remember exactly, but imagine one hour of of path course. So you know, we are trying to to test this game, we're gonna go to the refugee camps and and do it in person before we spend tons of money in a gaming platform. Mm -hmm. So we need this amount of hours in order to to train these uh, young refugees. So we need to raise 15,000 pounds and that would cover it. Now, Kickstarter is um, make it or break it kind of model. So you either raise the 15,000 in 20 days or you lose all the money you've raised. So, you know, it's, it's it cool, pressure on. but it definitely puts the pressure. And I have a, a really good friend that, you know, maybe she's also, a good, if, if this is a topic that is of interest, she would definitely be someone I would interview for how to succeed in a Kickstarter. And she created um, a tour guide called Architecture. Mm -hmm. And she has built a whole product based on people's comments. So she created this whole strategy before she even went on Kickstarter, that the product that she brought to Kickstarter was already what so many people wanted, that she raised all the funding on the first, I don't know if it was the first hour or the first day, and then it just multiplied, right? So she happens to be a friend of mine. So I remember... I went to have a coffee with her and said, Virginia, you need to tell me how did you do it? Because I need the same. Like I need, I don't need to multiply this. If I get the 15,000, I'm, I'm happy, but I cannot afford to not get the money because until this point we had bootstrapped the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I, You know, I was not working for anyone else. I was fully just working on path, zero salary. I spent all my savings. I was sleeping in my friend's couches. It was like the proper, you know, crazy story.
0: The the proper startup story. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I really needed it. It was my livelihood. You know, it was like, I need to eat. Okay. I need to guarantee I can eat. So please let's help me get this money. And I had this call with her maybe a week before. No, this coffee with her. A week before I was about to launch the campaign. And she said, well, the first advice she told me was to read this book that tells you all the things you have to do a year in advance. So I was like, okay, that's already out of You're it. Like, <laughs> you like, I don't have time to do in one week what I should have done for a year. And she started to give me all these tips that I could not apply to my situation because I had just focused so much on, you know, on the problem that I was like, okay, I'm, we're just gonna have to to do this on our own. So then the next thing that happened was that um, I convinced friends and family to to support us, and that's how we got the first five k. It was the first week, and five k. And I thought, yeah, this is this is working. Look, we have three weeks. If we get five k every week, we we will be there. Mm-hmm. Then the second week came, and we raised maybe. A 100 pounds and that's when we started to get a little bit stressed you know like okay we are on week you know we are on day 15 we have five more days and we need to raise like 9k um how are we gonna do this and here is where i started to get all the phone calls of people who i am sure they did it with the best intention but they couldn't have a worse timing which was so what's plan b there was no plan B. When you go on a Kickstarter, don't have a plan B because mm-hmm. if you have a plan B, you relax. And you're like, okay, plan A doesn't work, let's go on plan B. But for us, it was like, no, plan A has to work. So I'm not going to spend one second of my most precious time to, to think about an alternative plan, right? Yeah. Um, And that's, I think that's what made us succeed. That we, everyone around us saw us so convinced that we could do it, that they started to believe that we could do it. And because they thought we could do it, they started to convince their network that we could do it. And it went from, no, impossible, they're not gonna make it, to going viral and, you know, I, so on I, whatsapp and twitter yeah
0: i i think i saw it on linkedin uh, LinkedIn as well. somebody, somebody shared it on linkedin and somebody i was tagged in it by maybe two or three people who were like andy have you seen this have you seen this um so yeah i i, I was on the final day of the kickstarter <laughs> i think i managed to throw some some money in. <laughs> I, I yeah probably not enough but i did i put some money just yeah for the kickstarter
1: every single penny i think something really cool was that we started to take it as a as a game, as a challenge, and like we said, come on, guys, let's you know, let's make this happen. Let's we have a, you know ten more hours, this much money. Let's do it. Let's. So it was like instead of us letting this pressure put us down and be like, oh my god, how am I gonna do it? It was like, uh-uh, this is not a, I I don't need to be the hero here. We all need to play a part in this. And so all our communications, we've never been good at communicating by the way, because we've been too busy at doing. Uh, So that's something that my advisors always say, let us start communicating because you do so much more than people think. But um, I did start on that final days to talk about the why. Mm -hmm. People did not care what I was gonna use that money for, People only cared about why this crazy Spanish girl was raising <laughs> this money to go on a refugee camp for, you know, like the why, the why, the why. And and passionate those videos... Like you're not
0: crazy, you're passionate.
1: <laughs> those videos started to, you know, everyone watching them and and then we made it. We, we didn't even just get the 15,000 pounds that we needed. We ended up getting 15,722 pounds from 226 backers. If you make the, if you divide, it's a lot of money per person. So another thing that this Kickstarter allowed us to test was that maybe we don't have thousands of people or we didn't have thousands of people believing in us, but those who believe in us, they believe a lot. And they're willing to not just give you the five pounds, 10 pounds that, okay, is the pint I'm not gonna have tonight, but they're willing to give you, you know, we, we had a, I call it investment because it is of thousands. You know, some people even put 2000 pounds and I'm not saying about this super rich, no, no. I'm saying people in their thirties who have a normal job and suddenly they decided to really, you know, invest and support, uh, support our cause. So another thing that we've done is since then, and you, because you were a backer, you've probably received the emails, at least once a year, if not twice, we communicate with these backers. We remind them that they're the reason why we're still doing what we do. Every time we've pivoted, we've communicated it. Like, okay, so this happened this year, which led us here. Now we're going to do this, but hey, thank you for believing in the why. You see, when you start with the problem you're trying to solve. It doesn't matter people, even those who gave me the 1000, 2000 pounds, that is a lot of money. They never questioned why, if PAD was supposed to be a a game for teenagers is now a tech talent accelerator program for professionals. Mm -hmm. We're not working with teenagers anymore but they understand the why and they know that we pivoted because By putting uh, by helping these professionals get into the tech industry and regaining control of their lives, we are giving the youngsters the personification of hope. We are proving to them that it is possible. So then the next stage is let's go back, and now that we have all these success stories, let's make them their mentors. And now it's not this Spanish girl who's not a refugee and has no idea what it's like. To leave Syria or Afghanistan and make it to Europe is the same, you know, is someone who they can relate to who's telling them, come on, don't be lazy or don't be, you know, don't, don't be stupid, basically, because teenagers sometimes are stupid and make stupid decisions.
0: Part of the job, isn't it? Of being a teenager. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so they are the ones saying, look, if you really want to get out of this horrible situation you're in, it's up to you to start. Um, investing your time and energies in something that will help you, and not in the all the other um, options that are out there, because there are, you know, ne- bad options for mm-hmm. them. Um, so yeah, I hope this makes sense.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, look, you've told us a story of, of why you started, of how you did your research, of how you then took that through a fundraising process. And then why you then pivoted from what you originally started with into something else. So the program is now, I'm just aware of the time, but the program is now out there and running, isn't it? You have people who've been sort of mm-hmm. moved into, into tech jobs. What's the feedback like? What are you hearing from people?
1: Well, actually, we are on our seventh cohort. So each cohort is around 12 people. And only in 2020, we have already and trained 64 people and 13 have already been placed in uh, high-tech jobs. And um, last week we had the, the last session for, with one of the, the groups. The accelerator has three phases. So this group finished phase one. Um, and someone said, I regained hope. And I stopped the call. I was like, okay, guys, wait, wait, wait. can you re- let me record. I said, yeah, I regained hope. And he said, you have no idea how happy this makes me. Because I never told them that started with the mission of bringing hope to refugees. And the fact that now someone has verbalized that they regained hope, that they, they believe it's possible to get out of where they are, is like mission accomplished, you know?
0: Wonderful. <laughs> no this is brilliant honestly it's it's so uplifting in the end so to so tell me if anybody is thinking i want to get in touch i want to get involved how can i help um what's the best way to find out more at the moment because obviously you don't just want people throwing stuff at you If you know, mm. what's the best way to get in touch or to at least see what's happening
1: so they should go to our website which is Path, which is dotai for artificial intelligence Path in Spanish means peace, so it's easy to remember. Oh. And um, yeah, and then they have three options. If you are a refugee and you are you have a tech background and you want to get involved in our program, then there is a, a section for them. If you would like to become a mentor, so you work in a tech industry and you would like to to help us. Um, upskill one of our candidates, then there's a section for them. And if you are a company and you want to get, uh, you know, refugee talent into your team, then there's also an option there. So, um, you know, th- those are the, the best ways. And I always read the messages. So I'll I'll get back to everyone.
0: So a lot of my audience, I'm based in Belfast. Probably 30% of my audience is based around here. There's a huge tech scene in Belfast. So mm. if you are part of that tech scene and you are listening, please do go and check that out. The, the link's in the show notes, paz.ai, and you'll be able to get in touch with Letty that way. <laughs> um, As we come to the end of the interview, Letty, there's a couple of questions that I always have to ask everybody. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll quickly run through them. Firstly, uh, books um i like to share book recommendations from the guests for the, for the listeners what books do you read and, and and what would you recommend
1: so there's one that i always go back to because it rema- it gives me it gives me hope <laughs> when i'm at my worst which is called the hard thing about hard things from ben horowitz yep. and i normally so I have the different quotes that I like and that keep me going. And uh, whenever I have a friend who's also an entrepreneur going through the same you know, difficulties that I feel sometimes I send them uh, certain quotes. And I got one right here that I would like to, to read aloud because it explains the what we've been talking about. And it says, Hard things are hard because there are no easy answers or recipes. They are hard because your emotions are at odds with your logic. They are hard because you don't know the answer and you cannot ask for help without showing weakness. And this is so true. So many entrepreneurs who are trying to to disrupt something, they're trying to, to innovate. They feel, you know, that, that loneliness and that craziness and that how hard it is because you cannot even explain sometimes what what you're doing you just need to to believe so this is the sort of book that um always has you know quotes that that resonate with you and yeah
0: Wonderful. brilliant <laughs> I, do you know you're the first guest who's actually read out a part of a book that they recommend and um this might be a new thing because it was brilliant it just it brings <laughs> that, that whole book to life i haven't read it yet but it, it just brings it to life that way so thank you <laughs> very much for that and then the last question that I ask everybody. Is there anything that you thought I was going to ask today that I haven't asked you?
1: No, I thought you would ask me about what PATH means, but I already told you. And you did say, "Ah," oh, so I knew. <laughs> I
0: had that moment, I had that, I have that. Oh, I, I don't speak a word of Spanish. Well, no, that's a lie. Um, I pride myself on being able to order beer and chips in about <laughs> a dozen different languages. Um, that is literally the, um, the the beginning and end of my Spanish. I can I can survive on beer and chips for a length of time. Mm. So yeah, I, when you said it means peace, I was like, oh, <laughs> brilliant name. I love a name like that that has different like different layers and different meanings. So, fantastic. <laughs> um, Letty, thank you very much for your time. We'll put your details in the show notes if anybody does want to reach out and get in touch with you. And uh, look, it's been wonderful having you on. Thank you. And good luck with everything uh, with Paz. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Andy.